Hey everybody, my name is Aiden Mattis, and welcome to episode 6 of the Lore Lodge official podcast, where today we'll be talking about some stuff that I just learned about today, and Aiden learned about even more recently than that. So that's that's going to be a lot of fun. i uh, got to give an immediate shout out to Mr. Ballin on YouTube, because he had a great deep dive into what we're talking about today, and then I went and did some research as well. Uh, I have some thoughts that connect back to everything I've said about the Younger Dryas period, uh, Gebekli Tepe, Atlantis, all that fun stuff. But uh, we're going to start off today talking about a couple of missing 401 cases that happened to me in a little bit of a cluster. Um, and I, I decided that it was worth mentioning because I think it ties into the rest of today's conversation. So uh, without further ado, um, oh, but of course, I, I must ask that you like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, you know, smash, smash the like button. Um, just absolutely demolish it. Uh, it has it has insulted your family, your lineage, and you feel the way about the like button that Caesar did about the Gauls. That's that's what I want you to channel right here. So smash the like button. Uh, follow us on TikTok, on Instagram, on Snapchat, on Patreon, anything you haven't yet. But uh, all those links will be in the bio, so or in the description. Without further ado, let's get into it. This is the first time I've tried doing a real intro. All right. Um, so, Aiden, uh, I told you about Tom Messick a couple weeks ago, right? I believe so, yes. We were actually supposed to go up to a cabin near where he disappeared uh, to, to visit with another uh, TikToker who decided um, that it just wasn't the best circumstances for her. So that's why we are here and not in New York at the moment. Yes. But, uh, yeah, so very near Tom Messick and around the same time, within 10 days actually, mm-hmm. another man, Fred Drum, disappeared. Really? Yes. So, and I, I knew about the two disappearances. It did not occur to me until I went back and rewatched Missing Forum One: The Hunted by David Politis that uh, that it was so near to the. I knew the geogra- geographically. I knew how close they were. I didn't realize how, uh, you know, liminally close they were. Yep. Uh, Fred Drum was so. I'll I'll just go over both really quick. Tom Messick is the more intriguing one, if I'm being honest. He was on a hunting trip with three of his buddies. They were all in their 80s and some of their kids who were all in their 30s or 40s. Uh, he and the other elderly gentlemen were spaced out about 100 yards each. They were the, the watchers and their sons were pushing the, the deer towards them over a hill was the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know this is not how people usually hunt, but when you've got elderly people hunting and trying to enjoy the sport, it's one of the ways that you can do it. Yeah, that's fair. Um but anyway, they were out there for a couple hours, and they all reported that it, the forest was strangely quiet the entire time. Didn't see a single animal, any of them, over the course of two hours. And, and you know, that's not seeing a deer, sure. Not seeing a squirrel. Not, not a, a magpie. Mm. No chipmunk. You know, not even a gopher. Yep. Nothing. That's weird. That's very strange. That, that doesn't normally happen. We know that. Um, anyone who's ever been out in the woods knows that you cannot go 20 minutes without seeing something skittering around. Especially in, you know, late fall when, when animals are, you know, finishing up their, their harvesting of acorns and whatnot. <laughs> so anyway, they're spaced out about 100 yards. Uh, Tom is the furthest out down the road. And for two hours, the boys are looking for, for game. They can't push anything forward. And then they end up just deciding to pack it in. You know, we're going to go hunt back closer to the camp. Um, this is all up near uh, Bryant Lake. Bryant Lake. Bryant Lake. I'm not familiar enough. I'm trying to remember if anyone from the Adirondacks knows if I'm messing up the name. Um, and they're but the the place they are is Lily Pond Road. 
um, for anyone familiar with the area. Everybody goes to pack it in, and they get back to the trucks, and they realize that Tom's not there. Tom, of course, is an 84-year-old man. Uh, he's blind in one eye. His arthritis. Uh, not the type to wander off. In fact, physically incapable of wandering off. He's not there. So they're like, ah, oh, maybe he just didn't realize that we called it in, because he's pretty hard of hearing, too. So they go to look for him, and he's not where they left him. And whenever an old man with those attributes is not where you left him, that's that's a disconcerting thing to realize. To say the least, yeah. So, Tom uh, is, is gone, and they look around for him, and they figure, you know what, we'll, we'll just search for him all night, we'll find him, and then they don't. So, they, they eventually report him missing, and the uh, Forest Service gets involved, the Park Service gets involved, the Sheriff's Department... And surprisingly, without anybody reporting it to them, two FBI agents show up and they get involved. And that's weird because why is the FBI there if the FBI has not been requested? And they start to look into the case. And keep in mind, this is 2015. This is not like this did not happen like the 1970s. This is within the past few years. Yeah. No trace of Tom. They search for weeks. They set up bump lines. they, They described the forest as being a spider web of bump lines. You could not walk a few feet without hitting one. And bump lines are... Bump lines are, they set them up so that you can feel if somebody else hits them, as well as, you know, kind of meter out what's been searched and what hasn't. Interesting, okay. So it's it's basically just twine that's strung up in a grid Mm. all the way across the forest. Searched a huge area. Never found him. But 10 days into the search, uh, the Department of Conservation of the state of New York, those rangers were called 40 miles south to Schoilerville, New York, where another man had gone missing, Fred Drum. And this was on Thanksgiving Day. So Fred, again, Fred was 68, so he was a little bit younger, lived on a farm. He was retired, uh, just this nice rural plot of farmland. He was a farmer, an outdoorsman, mm-hmm. and he goes missing. His wife is at a Thanksgiving Day banquet, and she comes home, and Fred's already found. She's like, all right, maybe you went for a walk. Hmm. Nightfall comes, Fred's not back. So she reports him missing, because the 68-year-old man, y- you do that. Yeah. Um, search ensues, same thing. Helicopters, dogs, full search and rescue effort, not a sign of him found. No no shoes, no jacket, no shirt, no pants, no bones, nothing. He simply disappears. Never seen again. And this is all within 40 miles of where Tom Messick went missing. Within 10 days. Neither case has been solved. So a lot of the time on this show, we talk about some of the supernatural explanations for this, whether that be the, the Wendigo, the Cherokee Devil, uh, the Skinwalker any of these various ideas, but this, the story I'm going to tell after this that I'm going to get into in a minute is really going to kind of put that, put this whole thing deeper into perspective. What I've been talking about for a couple months now, um, with involving Nephilim and the flood and all of that. I, I think that if, if these stories from the, the Northwest territories in Canada are true, I think that that is a huge break that needs to be investigated Mm. because what we're talking about here is quite possibly the 
the real version of what you're looking at in the descent movies Hmm. with people who live in caves and come out at night to hunt and you know they're from a different evolutionary tree or it's split somewhere i i was absolutely fascinated when i looked at this today and what that is is the valley of the headless men which is i want to make sure that i pronounce everything correctly in uh nahani national park reserve in northwestern territories canada and i just want to point out again national park i don't know how many times i need to say it i sense at the very least a paper coming if not a book yeah so national park uh and i also want to point out the northwest territory has a population of about fifty thousand people and it is three times the size of germany yeah that's that's pretty big and pretty yeah. not sparsely populated. There we go. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. So, and the thing is, in the Nahani, Nahani? yeah, in the Nahani Valley, the Nahani River Valley, uh, it's uninhabited mm-hmm. almost entirely. You've got a few hunting cabins, um, some native tribes that kind of skirt the area, but the the valley itself uninhabited. Mm-hmm. The reports of missing persons start in the early 1900s but let's let's talk about kind of the history of the valley really quick Mm -hmm. no native tribe has ever successfully settled the valley in 11,500 years not a single first nations indigenous tribe has successfully settled that valley and if you look at pictures of it it's gorgeous it is beautiful lumber everywhere um you know beautiful rivers plenty of land that you could hunt on for you know a nomadic hunter-gatherer tribe it would be pristine ideal yeah and then during the the early 1900s they of course had the gold rush and that was out in california but people were still mad about gold so they ended up finding lots of gold in in this area in this region in, in the far reaches of northern canada but throughout time the natives had tried to settle it and you had the uh, the Naha people who actually did, and then, according to native legend, just up and disappeared one day, completely left behind their cabins, their clothes, their everything. Just the people just disappeared. Yep. The other natives from the area report seeing monsters, everything from the, what is typically described as the Wendigo to uh, a more common pale white uh being humanoid being uh and they uh, it here's here's where i don't consider this to be a wendigo situation what they report is packs of them packs That's interesting yeah of pale white humanoids that hunt at night yeah um and if you've seen the descent that sounds a lot like the crawlers from the descent yeah as well as tales of very large white wolves, but I don't think those are necessarily connected. But uh, point point being made, um, the natives of the area tell of pale white demons who hunt in the forest in packs at night. Definitely sounds like something worth uh, exploring in one instance, and in another one, something that would definitely prevent a native tribe from settling there. Exactly. Um, so... 
I, I also want to consider like the the time period here and the the, the geography. I want to set the scene before I get into this first story. Mm-hmm. Um, so this area, well, again, we we modern archaeology suggests modern modern anthropology. What's mainstream says people got to the Americas <clears throat> in eleven thousand five hundred years ago. Mm. At the very, very earliest, 13,000 years ago. 11,600 years ago is the end of the Younger Dries. Everything down to Minnesota, think about that, south of our border with Canada, was glaciers. Was just walls and miles and miles and miles of ice. And then during the Younger Dries, that ice melted and it receded. And receded all the way back up to where it kind of is now. That would have carved massive canyons. And those floodwaters would have pushed. And remember, this is not over the course. This is not overnight. This is over the course of, you know, a thousand years, 1500 years. This would have pushed people up as the waters rose. So... What you have in what is called the Second Canyon in the Nahani River Valley, the Second Canyon is part of the, one of the sub um, streams of the lake, of the river. It is 3,000 foot tall sheer cliffs on both sides. Water that in some cases is thousands of feet deep. Like it is a deep river. And if you look up those cliff faces, there's caves. They're just holes in the side of these cliff faces. And they're completely unexplored. We don't know what's in them. All we know is that they're there. And the phenomenon I'm about to describe has been documented since about 1900. In 1904, Willie, Frank, and Charlie McLeod decided they were going to try their luck going into what was then just known as the Nahani River Valley to around the Second Canyon area, uh, to a, an area actually called Flat River. And they were going to prospect there for gold. Story goes that they got there, they set up their materials, they took a homemade boat across the river and started uh, sifting for gold. And apparently they found a lot of it, according to Charlie. So much so that they, they had no reason to stay. They, they filled up all of their containers and they were like, you know what, let's, let's go back. Let's go back, sell our gold and come back with more equipment and set up something more permanent here. So as they were on their way back across the river, their boat capsized. They lost most of their supplies. They lost all of their gold. And, uh, you know, they, they were like, all right, that sucks, but we're going to try again. So they rebuilt their boat, went back across the river, went to the exact same spot. Started sifting for gold. Nothing. Not a nugget of gold in that river. They get disheartened. They decide they're going to head home. They go back. And it it should be kept in mind, there's no roads here. It is all rugged, like, you know, Yukon, like you're you're trekking. So they eventually all get back back to town. Takes them a while, a few days. And the younger of the two, uh, Willie and Frank, say... We want to go back. And Charlie, Charlie's like, you know what? It was too close a call. I don't want to go. 
So Willie and Frank recruit their friend Robert, and they go out, and they say, you know, it's a few months later. It's now 1905. And they say, we're going to go out, and we're going to go to the same spot. We're going to prospect for gold. They're gone a few months, but Charlie's not really concerned because, oh, maybe they struck Peter and they're, they're staying out there. Year goes by. Two years go by. Nobody's even heard from them. Nobody came back to report. Nobody came back to sell any gold. Nobody's come back to buy supplies. And so Charlie gets concerned and he, he rounds up another four guys and they make an expedition into, into the valley. They go to the first spot where they had found gold and nobody's there. They keep going down and they get into Second Canyon. And you got to keep in mind the geography of Second Canyon would mean that 3,000 foot tall cliff faces over water. It's cold, it's dark, and it's a canyon, so it's a wind tunnel. It's cold there. They head down the river, and just as they're getting through the 10 miles that are the second canyon, they get almost to where the next branch is, the first canyon, and they spy on a little patch of shore, a tent. Paddle over to it, and one of the first things they noticed, other than the grisly scene of two dead bodies was a a hand-carved sign that said, we have found good prospects. The bodies of Willie and Frank were both there, and they identified them via some personal, personal uh, pieces, so, you know, pictures and lockets mm-hmm. and whatnot. One of the bodies was outside the tent, it was burned to a crisp, decapitated, and its hand was reaching for a tree where there was a rifle. The rifle was still there. Inside the tent was half inside, half outside the tent was another one, another body. This one was not burned, but it was badly decomposed, so it would probably be a long time. Um, again, headless, and basically looked like he had been killed while leaping out of the tent the and they couldn't determine a real cause of death for that they also couldn't determine you know the like how dead were they when they were burned because his arm was still outstretched for the the rifle but they determined that those two were really in frank robert was not there a few hundred yards down the river they found more remains which they believed to be robert There were two theories at the time, one of which was Robert stole all the go- killed them, stole all the gold, and made off with it. The other was someone or something killed all three of them. And the way I see it, uh, first of all, weird that the heads were taken. Because, uh, c- and it was like the, the idea that an animal would have done it mm-hmm. when one of the bodies was burned. And that two of them were decapitated, but not dragged from the site. And the other bones were found 700 yards away. Like, none of it really adds up to a bear attack, you know? How much of what they thought was Robert was down there? Like, was there enough? Like, most of a skeleton, but not enough to, there wasn't anything to identify. Was there a head? Uh, uh, Yes, his, his was intact. Okay. Which leads me to believe, when I look at that one specifically, that they were attacked. And that Robert ran away and was eventually, you know, 
killed in some manner or he broke his ankle and wasn't able to move and died of starvation you mm-hmm. know something like that uh, but i think willie and frank were were killed which i think is obvious right considering they're missing their heads i would imagine yeah. that yeah it would be <laughs> so the royal canadian mounted police determined it was uh either an accident or an animal attack accident what accident leaves two people decapitated yeah decapitated with because the heads weren't anywhere there i mean a car accident might yeah but like they were decapitated but were were the heads still at the location the heads were gone yeah that's that's like the heads have been taken as trophies yes uh like for as speaking as somebody who i'm not an anthropologist but as somebody who you know spent some time doing anthropology course at work in college that's that's trophy taking behavior um and it's not uncommon for Especially, uh, you know, you know, remote. Um, I, I'm going to be careful with my words here, but um, less advanced civilizations mm-hmm. to headhunt, to take to take heads from their trophies, whether that be the Mongolian steppe or the Celts or whoever it is. Mm-hmm. Generally, societies that are less civilized uh, tend to take heads as trophies. The the next, um, I'm just going to make sure that I have everything here. Yeah, here, so. I'm, I actually have notes this time. You usually do. Yeah, so. But yeah, so the, the deaths were ruled an accident by the police. Which is fine. That was really the first instance of this. The second one happened eight years later in 1913. It was uh, Martin Jorgensen, and he was a prospector. He went alone. Um, he built a cabin, and he had partners, but they were – he went in the winter. So the plan was he was going to go and set up a cabin and prospect a little bit, mm-hmm. and then if there were anything there in the summer, his partners would join him, and they would continue to prospect throughout the summer. So uh, Martin sent word back after establishing his cabin that the prospects were good it looked like there was plenty of gold there they were going to strike it rich and you know he would meet up with them at the rendezvous point at the beginning of summer his partners go to the rendezvous point they wait a few days eight nine days no martin so at that point they go all right something's wrong they go to where he had said he would be and what they find is his cabin is burned to a crisp his body is outside the cabin. And uh, what do you think happened to his head, Aiden? I'm going to guess his head wasn't there. His head was not there. Didn't appear that anything had been taken other than that, but he had been decapitated, burned. They determined he was probably burned after he was decapitated. Um, and that was it. There was no sign of anything else. They, they just had absolutely no evidence. Um, now, what again makes this so interesting, also the gold he reported finding was never found. That's interesting. So, and let's, let's, let's already start connecting the dots for everybody. In the first case of the McLeods, they found gold. They tried to take the gold. Their boat sank. They went back to find more gold and none was there. Two of them ended up dead. The one who decided not to go back for more gold lived. Uh, Jorgensen, Martin Jorgensen, goes out to prospect, finds gold. Says he finds a lot of gold. His partners get there. Cabins burned down. 
Martin's dead. His head's gone. No gold. Sensing a connection to some gold here. I think so. Um, and of course, I, when a body is found decapitated and burned outside of a burned out cabin and all of the gold that's supposed to be there is missing, usually the police rule that what? Uh, a murder and robbery, essentially. You fool. It was an accident. <laughs> according to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Yes. Um, I, I, uh, that, that was it. To, we, be, <laughs> to be fair, these were the Mounties of yesteryear by about 100 years. So Yeah. Um, it doesn't get better. <laughs> about eight years later in 1921, John O'Brien and his partners uh, went into the valley. They set up their camp. And they were they were trapping. They weren't actually looking for gold. They were not prospecting. Um, or they may have been, but he went missing while trapping. But point is, they built their cabin. They were out there. And John goes missing for eight or nine days. And he had said he was going to go check the trap. So he'd be gone for a few days. But like a few days. Mm. After eight or nine days, his partners are like, we, we should probably go looking for John. So they do. Aiden, how do you think John was found? I'm going to assume decapitated and no gold. No. <laughs> John was found sitting on a log with the remains of what was absolutely at one point a campfire. With his matchbook in his hand. Sitting straight up as if he was relaxing. Almost like this. Looking completely calm and pleasant. Except he was completely frozen. It, there was no sign of shock on his face, no sign of struggle. He wasn't huddled over. He wasn't freezing. Like, he looked like he had been flash frozen, is what the witnesses said. It looked like you had just stuck him in a freezer, just filled it with liquid nitrogen very quickly, and that's what you got. Just, just a Johnsicle. Aiden, what do you think the police ruled this death? I'm going to guess an accident. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now, while this one doesn't actually come with him uh, necessarily prospecting, it could have something to do with the idea of trying to take value from the valley if we're going with some sort of ancient curse like the natives believe. Yeah. Um, like taking gold, taking furs out of the valley, that would be disturbing its, you know, its treasures and that would get you killed. Yep. But, you know, that's, that's the native curse legend idea. Is there, just to kind of go along with that curse theory, just out of curiosity for a moment, are there people that have gone into the valley and just visited and yeah, been fine? they come out alive. Interesting. In 1926, a hunting party, including one Annie Lafferty, was camping. Mm. Keep in mind, they were hunting. Um, they were all having a jolly old time, merry old time. You know, drinking, laughing, hanging out. They all go to sleep one night. They wake up. Nah, they wake up in the morning. Annie's gone. They look for her. They can't find her. They find some of her clothing, but no her, no sign of a struggle, no blood, nothing. The police look for her. Search is launched. They have more people come in, and they're trying to find Annie, but after. Several months, no Annie turns up, and 
they determine, you know what, she just must have must have gone missing, must have been carried off by an animal, something like that. Um, and the police, of course, ruled it an accident. <laughs> so, in the end, what you're telling me is Annie was not okay. <laughs> However, according to the Canadian Mounted Police, she was neither hit by nor struck by a smooth criminal. It was an accident. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, so, also just as a quick quick aside before we hop back into that, uh, Kid Collector Comics sent us four ninety nine with a little uh, uh, question as a super chat. Just wanted to let you know if you're hanging around, we will be answering questions in super chats uh, and just regular chats. But obviously, super chats will have priority. Uh, we'll be doing that after eight, so in about yes. twenty minutes. Uh, but until then, we're going to continue with the the main topic of this week. But yes. anyway, stick around; we will answer your questions. Don't yes, worry. questions will get answered. Um, so now here's where the Annie Lafferty thing gets really funky. Mm. Even more not okay. Yeah. A few months later, a man named Charlie, who was camping at the same time as the hunting party, uh, not as part of the party, but like across the the river from them. Uh, he overheard somebody telling the story of Annie's disappearance, and he felt compelled that he should go to the police because suddenly something that he saw made a lot more sense. Hmm. And what he reported was that he had woken up in the middle of the night to the sound of rocks being thrown into the river. Curious. Not big rocks. Just like, you know, medium-sized rocks. Like... Somebody skipping rocks or like... No, more like somebody just chucking rocks into the river. Got it. He reported to the police that what he what happened was he heard this. He stepped out of his tent to take a look and see what was going on. And on the side of the mountain, what he saw was a pale, like white-skinned, naked woman just clambering up the mountainside. Not ki- knocking rocks everywhere with her feet and hands. And he said when she turned and she stopped, she turned, she looked at him. And what he said was it looked like she was possessed. Like her eyes were just wrong. Like something was not right there. Now, he took all this information to the police and, and recounted the story. He, he himself decided, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to chase that. I'm not figuring out what that's about. Not worth it. Probably the best decision you could have made. Oh, absolutely. Are you that guy, pal? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I was hoping that you were going to get that because I didn't You're do it. Not that guy. He was not that guy. He was not that guy. Honestly, no. And it sounds like he was okay with not being that guy. Yeah, no, he was. He was fine with it. Yep. It seemed to work out for him as well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the police. This being months afterwards. And Annie's death having been ruled an accident. Mm-hmm. Despite the report of extraordinarily odd behavior, because if somebody goes out in the woods of northwestern Canada naked at night, there's no way they're going to survive. And also her scrambling up the mountain. It's not like she went down to the lake to take a bath. It's mm. a lot of stuff. You would think that, that would get investigated, but uh, instead the Royal Canadian Mounted Police said, eh, She's probably dead. You want a donut? And that was it. Hey, like early century Mounties? What were y'all on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you thought 
that perhaps um, this was just a weird string of events in the early 1900s. Mm. In 1931, Phil Powers built a cabin in the valley. He was also a gold prospector. Yeah. Builds himself a cabin. Um, you know, just living his life. And, of course, eventually didn't check in with whoever he was supposed to check in with. A story Search parties called. And what do they find? They find his cabin burned to the ground with him inside of it. Now, it should be mentioned. His head was there. And it was attached to his body. Okay. What should also be mentioned is that the origin of the fire was the top of the house. How did they determine that? Just the burn pattern. Interesting. The way the house collapsed. Various things. Um, now, if the fire had started at the top of the house and he was alive when the fire started, he should, and it, it was not determined that he fell because like a log fell on him. Yeah. It was determined that he, he simply died in the fire. If the fire had started at the top of the house, then he should have theoretically had time to get out of the house. Yep. Which means that he was probably dead when the fire started. Which means he was killed in the house. And then the fire was started to... Well, it just seems that fire is the M.O. here. And we're getting out of the territory where this could be a killer loose who's, you know, burning... Because this is like now 20 years in a very remote part of northwest Canada. Yeah. Um, it's it's not like this is happening in, you know, downtown L.A. or something. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it doesn't really make a ton of sense. He was... He, his cabin burned down. He must have been dead before the cabin burned down. And the police said, oh, it was probably something faulty with the the, um, the heating system in the house, like the pipes he had set up with his wood stove that caused the fire, which would imply that the fire killed him, not him being dead beforehand, which is what the coroner ruled. The only thing so, I could think that they may have been like suggesting was that maybe he died of like CO2. Yeah, yeah, but even that yeah, it doesn't like, make sense. If, from a wood burning but stove, yeah, so, you would smell the smoke filling. You would see the smoke filling the room. Exactly. So, like, so of course, uh, the police did the the reasonable thing, and they ruled this one an accident. <laughs> <laughs> of course. In 1936, William Epler and Joseph Mulholland they had a cabin in. And then Hani River Valley. Their cabin was found torched, but they were not inside. Now, the story does not have a happy ending because their bodies were never found. No heads, no, no clothes, nothing. Just they disappeared. Interesting. And their cabin was burned. In 1945, because whatever's going on here was not to be stopped by World War II. Of course not. Ernst Ernest Savard was found by his partners, his, his prospecting partners, in his sleeping bag next to the river. Decapitated. Not burned, but decapitated. The police investigated. Wasn't much to investigate there. It was basically, you know, oh, we haven't seen Ernest in a little bit. You know, where is he? Oh, he's in his sleeping bag. Uh, there's no head. 
partially decomposed, probably been dead for a few days. What the police suggested was, oh, well, uh, you know, he must have died of natural causes, like hypothermia, starvation, which would explain, starvation would explain why he was just chilling in his sleeping bag. Um, and then their reasoning was his head is gone because an animal took it. But why would an animal take his head and not the rest of his body? That doesn't make a ton of sense. Nope. Bears are smart enough to rip open a sleeping bag. Um, so if it was a bear or a mountain lion or something, it wouldn't just be his head that's gone. Correct. So in the face of what is obviously a homicide, um, the the police did the the rational thing, looking at the evidence, you know, the that he was clearly killed, that his head was taken, that his his partners, you know, lost track of him. And they ruled it, the only thing you could possibly rule this, an accident. <laughs> the just, at this point, the audacity <laughs> of the Sheer Mounties. The audacity of the Mounties. I just, I want to know, who, who said you could do that? <laughs> at, at a certain point, you got to look at it and be like, okay, listen... Cut, like this is five decapitations, like in the same spot. Let's put a little effort in, just just a little bit. It's just it, it begs the question: um, How interesting were their lives at home, or better yet, what do they know that they're like? There life, we go. Oh, not not dealing with that. Not going up there. No, thank See? you. So. You're catching on to how this ties in, why I was so excited about this story yes. is this ties into everything I've been talking about, about yes. the National Park Service, both in the United States and in Canada, yes. being some sort of cover up for the government, knowing there's something out there, or perhaps, perhaps I've been wrong all along, and it's not that they know that there's specifically Wendigos out there. Yep. Maybe they just know there's shit out there. Yep. And they don't want us to know about it. Mm -hmm. And they think, you know what? If we can close off these regions and if we can patrol them, we can keep things to a minimum. We can label decapitations an accident. Who's who's to say we're wrong? Um, Great point. By the way, you have a 10-minute warning, roughly. Okay, we're almost done. Cool. So a year after Ernest Savard goes missing, or not missing, his head went missing. Yep. The rest of him was found. Yep. Just not okay. Yeah, just not okay. Uh, John Patterson goes missing and his body was never found. Mm. His, what, what's interesting about his disappearance is the, the encounter the search party had with some natives from the area. So on the last night of their search, they were getting ready to leave and the, they were approached by a delegation of, of first nations, um, tribes people. Mm. And what they told them was, listen, you need to stay inside. You need to leave. There are beings wandering about the forest. They're pale. They have dark eyes and sharp teeth. And they're, they're looking for you. Don't go outside. Now that thoroughly freaked out the searchers. Well, yeah, understandably so. And what they reported was for the rest of the night, they heard howling and wailing and what sounded like something deliberately trying to scare them. And they, what they saw was exactly what the Native Americans described. They, they saw pale white humanoids roaming about, whooping and howling and wailing to one another to communicate. 
and uh, they left promptly in the morning. Again, smart move. Exactly. Now, this has all continued to some extent, but with without the the deaths and disappearances, partially due to the fact that in 1976 it was declared a national park by the Canadians. Now, most national parks are tourist attractions, right? They've got roads, they've got visitor centers, they've got rangers, uh, they've got trails. This one has none of them. There is not a single road leading to it. There is not a trail. You have to either fly or hike to get there. It is essentially discouraged that you go there. And as time has gone on, the Canadian government has put up signs basically saying this part of the park is off limits. And what they've been saying is, oh, well, we're just trying to preserve those specific parts of the park. Now, what's interesting about the exact spots they chose to put off limits is they're the spots where these people disappeared. The spots where these beings in the dark were sighted. So is it a coincidence? I don't think so. I think that that's the end of my notes. Yeah, um, but I just want to—I just want to go over that really quick. So what you've got here is essentially stories of uh, a group of pale humanoid beings that hunt at night. That—and this is in Native American folklore—you have people being decapitated and burned alive, or burned after they were killed. And you have uh, pretty much entire unexplored cave systems in 3,000-foot sheer cliffs mm. in an area that was overrun with glaciers for a long time, but where, as the glaciers receded, humans that predated the, the current Native Americans might have retreated themselves into those caves looking for food or, you know, maybe perhaps because they were used to that climate, they were trying to remain close to the ice, whatever you want to say it is. Um, it is very unlikely that the rest of the world has been inhabited by what we refer to as human beings for up to 200,000 years. And yet North America, only 1,300 or only 13,000. Um, it seems very likely that during the Younger Dryas, because the comet impact was in Greenland, the North American continent bore the brunt of the impact. Mm. That the the flooding would have been harshest here, that it would have basically wiped out anything we had on this continent. And then we believe that it was just repopulated with people who crossed the Bering Strait. What I think this is evidence of, given the location, given the time, given the geography, is that there was a pre-Clovis civilization in North America, or at least pre-Clovis humans, who retreated north with the glaciers mm. as the climate changed. Mm. And that perhaps up in the Canadian wilderness, up at the top of the world, they stuck around a while. And they do not like it when people mess with their territory, when people try to take things from their territory. Because the behavior of taking trophies and of setting fires is dis distinctly human. Um, that is not something 
you know, taking trophies we sometimes see in the animal kingdom. Setting fires is a very, very human thing. And, you know, just to consider the, the possibility there. But on the other hand, the sheer terrifying thought that there is a proto-human race living in the caves of northwestern Canada that knows how to use fire. That means they're in the Stone Age. There is a stone there is possibly a Stone Age civilization living in the caves of the Nahani River Valley in Canada. And the Royal Canadian Mounted Police seem to be very keen on making sure nobody finds out about that. And the Native Americans don't exactly seem to disagree with me on this. Now, they seem to think that they're uh, forest spirits or demons or something like that, whereas I would go with a more natural explanation for it. But, you know, in, in the movie The Descent, we have the crawlers who live underground in the Appalachian Mountains, and they sometimes leave at night to hunt, but for the most part, they, they have very acute senses of hearing, very poor sense of sight, and very poor sense of smell. Maybe that's what we're looking at here, is a, a humanoid group that over time evolved to live in the dark. Mm. That the reason that there's all this wailing and yelling and screaming isn't necessarily them trying to scare us, but it's how they communicate is with sonar, with sound waves, because they can't see very well. So I wouldn't be surprised if you were to capture, if you were to find one of these things. And, and here's, here's the thing is people will often in situations like this be like, well, if they were real, why haven't we found a skeleton yet? Well, one of the first signs of civilization of, of something becoming sentient and creating society is caring for the dead. Mm-hmm. So I would posit the reason that we haven't found any of their bodies yet is because the bodies are taken back into the caves. And with the technology we have today, you know, it's you, you can't exactly pilot a drone very deep into a cave, but you can at least check out, like, what's close. I think it would be completely reasonable for a team of people, preferably armed and with great climbing experience, to go check out some of those caves, some of the higher up ones. That would be a good go. plan, yeah. It's probably military, but, you know, I when I read about that and, and was watching the videos on it today, I was stunned with how perfectly it fits into everything I've been talking about. Yeah. You know, the Younger Dryas period, the, the pre-Clovis civilizations, the idea that humans were here before, that we don't know our entire history, that we're missing a chapter. I think that this is... This is along the lines of concrete evidence that we're missing a chapter. And I would love to say missing some a chapter, you mean missing a chapter in in, in the human story. Gotcha. You know, what you know, in the, the Atlantis chapter, I guess you would call it, the the antediluvian chapter of our history, because it seems more and more likely with every passing day that humanity had achieved some level of advancement prior to um the, the global glacial melt of the Younger Dryas period and that it was wiped out by that glacial melt. Okay. But yeah, that's, uh, that is the podcast for today. I guess we should take questions. I believe we should. And the first one is, um, and obviously just as a, a you know, um, 
refresher for those who are in the chat at the moment. Uh, super chats do get priority. Yes. So yeah. when asking questions, do you have the AidenMattis.card.co in the description? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that uh, that is where we'll focus on. We take questions for the next half hour. Uh, other than super chats, we just kind of go in order from first to last. Uh, so we shall <coughs> begin. Uh, and so first we start with a super chat from uh, Kid Collector Comics for four ninety nine. Thank you. And it says, uh, yo, yo, sorry I'm so, so late, y'all. I was wondering if there's anything I should look out for on the Colorado woods uh, going on vacation there. Colorado? Um, not a ton of... The one thing I would say is that there is the the missing four hundred one case of Jim McGrogan. I, I would look into that. Okay. Um, what what I would give you in terms of advice in any case like this is the the simple advice that you do not go anywhere alone. Always stick to the buddy system. Um, if you want to talk about supernatural creatures that might be in Colorado, you got the Thunderbird, you got the Wendigo, you got the Skinwalker that can all be up in that area. Uh, supposedly Sasquatch could roam the area. Uh, there are always stories of feral people in the mountains, um, you know. But for the most part, people usually don't go missing. 99.9% mm. .9 of the time, if you're in the mountains hiking with your friends, you're going to be fine. But just remember to stick to the rules. Stay on your trail. Use the buddy system. If you're going to be out, it, you know, wild camping, bring a firearm. Like, Simple stuff. Make sure you got supplies. Make sure you got your compass, your GPS, your cell phones charged, all that. Um, you know, having a little crank radio isn't a bad idea either. I have one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that would be my advice is just keep your wits about you. Be smart. Uh, use the same rules you'd use for any normal predator. Sounds like a, a safe bet, I would say. Um, all right. Next question is from uh, 24K Zeus 213 uh, asks, do you think the Nephilim are like the ISU in Assassin's Creed? Um, yeah, the ISU, I think, are based off of the same idea as the Nephilim or the Anunnaki. Um, but I would say that they're more likely... I would say they're similar. I don't think the ISU are necessarily based off of them. I think the ISU are more based off of like a demigod race. But yes, it is the same idea that I'm presenting here, that there was a, a higher race, a higher being than just humans that was between divine and moral, something like the Aisu. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, Kid Collector Comics sent another question. Uh, do you think the civilization is stronger or faster than us? And I believe he's referring to the one that we were speaking of for the main portion of the podcast. No, I think that they're just more numerous than the hikers they encounter. Makes sense. Um, uh, okay. Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, Ruthless asks, uh, when I was a kid, I stayed the night with my grandparents on their land. When I went to sleep, I heard a very clear hello. I pretended to be asleep. What are the chances it was a flesh pedestrian? I would need some, some more info there, but I... Uh... I mean, if you heard something saying hello, clearly coming from like the woods or outside, uh, there aren't many things out there that say hello that aren't people. 
So uh, you're, you've got two options there. Either it was a person or it was a flesh pedestrian. I would say that if you, if you very genuinely heard somebody say hello from outside, it was probably either a person or a flesh pedestrian. And neither of those are good things to have saying hello to you outside your window. Not generally, no. Uh, Kid Collector Comics asks, if they have some sort of knowledge about these things, then why would they not go in there? It's a good question. You know, why does why does the government do anything it does? Um, could be because they don't want it getting out. And the best way to avoid it getting out is to ignore it and just block it off and make sure people aren't allowed in there. And then you don't have people who are within the, the mounted police, you know, experiencing things and then leaking it. Um, you know, because what if you do find something also? Like what? I mean, think about that aspect. What if they went in? What What would the effect be on society if we had the Canadian government send a research team into these caves and they came out saying there's a human species, another human species alive in those caves? And that's under the assumption that if they found out that was to be the case, that they would actually publish that information. Yeah. There's also the other possibility that... That they, they know and they haven't published the information. That, that, but also the sense or the, the possibility that they don't want to send anybody in specifically to pursue whatever this might possibly be because they don't have the resources or they have resources, but just not enough to consider it worth it. Considering the sense that, like, there's so much... I don't know. The government considers some weird stuff worth it. The Canadian government. Like, yeah, like, gender identity classes in Pakistan. Uh, I don't know much about that. That's a, that's a thing we funded. That's fair. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that is a lot easier than sending people... Into a cave? A potentially dangerous... Scenario. True, true. All right. I mean, you got a point. You know, we, we didn't, we didn't say. Maybe George Lucas was right about the Geonosians. <laughs> Maybe that's what's in the caves. Geonosians. It's Geonosians. That's it. We that's why the out. Canadians won't tell us they're building a droid army. They are. So the Canadians are essentially the separatists. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Uh, we got a super chat from Silk G for $5. Thank you, Silk G. Uh, two questions. Uh, the first one is going to central Arkansas near the Ozarks. What is yes. out there? What's out there? Yes. That would be Windy Boy territory for sure. Mm. Um, am I saying you will encounter a Windy Boy? No. But it would be uh, it would be Windy Boy territory. It could possibly be Bigfoot territory. Um, you are going to be, I think, within what would be considered Cherokee territory. So Cherokee devil possibly, but historically, traditionally, they only go after Cherokee people. So if you're not part Cherokee, then you're, you're good. Um, but yeah, that, that's what you'd be looking at in Arkansas in terms of cryptids. His second question is, how effective would thermal devices be at detection? For, I would assume, fleshy boys in general, but probably more specifically so the Wendigo. For, for the skinny boys, probably very effective. Um, now, the Wendigo, it depends. Um, again, in some traditions, they are giants with a heart of ice, which would make them cold. 
which would mean that they are not susceptible to thermal imaging. Um, I, I guess my answer would be I would not rely on thermal imaging to tell you whether or not they're out there. Uh, NVG would probably be better. And remind night vision goggles. Got it. Um, all right. So the next question in terms of uh, order. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, somebody said, uh, or Sheila Tracy said, hi, Aiden. My birthday is tomorrow. Uh, Ooh, so happy birthday. Congrats. Happy early birthday. Um, does it, looks like we got, uh, a $5 super chat, but there's no question there. Well, thank you. Uh, should we make up a question? We could. Yeah. Aiden, ask me a question. Hmm. What is your favorite pop punk song? Oh, God, that's a hard one. It is a hard one. That's why no. I chose it. That's my favorite genre. I know. Um, I don't want to be basic, but like... <laughs> if it's your favorite, it's your favorite. Prob- probably Weightless by All Time Low. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Solid answer. Um... So again, going in order, at least trying to. Uh, if you, uh, Thalia uh, Carrillo asks, um, if you killed a fleshy boy as an animal, will it return to fleshy boy when dead? I'm not exactly sure what that means. If you mean a skinwalker think, while it's an animal form? I think that's what she's talking about, yeah. I believe so. I think so. Interesting. That's an interesting path for it to follow. Yeah. Nonetheless. I, I, I will have to look back into it, and if I am wrong, I will issue myself a correction, but I believe that they would turn back into a human. Okay. Cool. Red asks, what are some interesting ones from... Uh, oh, wait, hang on. Sorry. Uh, Little Misfortune uh, gave us another $5 with uh, uh, an actual question this time. <laughs> Hold on. What is it? Uh, I am going on a vacation. I'm going to find a Wendy boy and sleep with it. Wish me luck. It wasn't a question, apparently. <laughs> it's not a question. That's just a bad idea. It is a bad idea, but it is a funny idea. We don't recommend or condone those actions. She wants the Wendosi. But if it happens, we do want to know how it goes. Oh, no. Please don't make it happen. I would prefer but if, if you, you didn't ignore do that. our requests. At least get it on film for research purposes. I'll just. I don't need to see the science thing. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, going back to Red's question, what are some interesting ones from Florida? Uh, The skunk ape is the the most common Florida. Yeah. The what? It's like kind of their version of Bigfoot. Okay. Um, The skunk ape? The skunk ape. Yeah. Go ahead and look up, look it up and read the definition off Wikipedia. Okay. Hang on. Because I don't remember it from heart, but it's funny. That sounds like an offbeat clothing brand that's like trying to be new streetwear. Skunk ape. Uh, the skunk ape, also known as the swamp ape and Florida Bigfoot in American folklore, is an ape-like creature that is purportedly to inhabit the forests of, and swamps of some southeastern United States, mostly no, notably in Florida, or most notably in Florida. They, uh, they kidnap people, supposedly. Interesting. It... I would say it's, we don't know much about Seminole culture because of the Spanish. 
Okay. Um, but it seems like maybe their version of the Cherokee Devil. Got it. Okay. The seminal version of the Cherokee Devil. Interesting. Because uh, Bigfoot is not generally a malevolent being, but there do seem to be malevolent versions of the Bigfoot. Interesting. Uh, Allmaker X asks, what is your guys' favorite cryptid? You go first. <laughs> to be fair, I have, I have less of a collection. To I know from. too many. Yeah, I was going to say, I, you know, it, mine just kind of funnels down to only a few, really. Um, we haven't talked about them yet, and I keep pestering him to do a video on them, and they will, we will do one soon. Demons fascinate me. It's not a cryptid. I know, it's but... It's a demon. Yes, but, like, they're technically... Okay, so if we're going just cryptids, then... Hmm. Probably my instinct is Wendigo purely because it's just the the way they formulate. Yeah, is just it's that, the same for me. I just think yeah, it's the coolest one. Yeah, it's wild. But I have, if I were to encounter one, I'd want it to be a Skinwalker because I would love to at least attempt to try and speak with the actual person and be like, like I'd love to do an interview with a skinwalker and be like, why did you decide to do this? How has this benefited or improved your life? Don't believe a word this man says he wants to smash it. Me or? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> entirely a carnal desire and has nothing to do with being John Stossel. <laughs> I like, wait, I like the, of all the people you went through, in your mind, John Stossel was the one that you landed on. Of course. I'm, I'm honored. I'm honored. Of course it was John Stossel. If only I had such luscious facial hair. Beard. Yeah. Uh, mustache. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, the next question is, what should I watch out for in Washington from Tristan Kales? Uh, Windy Boys, um, of course, because the Pacific Northwest is also home to that. Uh on the other hand, the Pacific Northwest seems to be home to the most of the Bigfoots. And uh, the, the thing about that is they are known in Native culture as protectors. Okay. Uh, you know, protectors of the forest, elder brothers. So you are probably, it's probably one of the safer places you could be. But uh, Mount Rainier has some weird disappearances on it. Interesting. So if you go hiking Mount Rainier or any of the Washington mountains, definitely be keep your wits about you. I'm trying to remember exactly what the Mount Rainier one that I talked about. Good to know because I was I was in Washington about a month ago, and my buddy and I took a trail up. Yeah, uh, it was a, a driving trail uh, that we took up to the top of a mountain, and we were looking over to see mm -hmm. Mount Rainier. But you know, surprise, surprise, Washington. It was a bit rainy that day, so you couldn't see it. Washington, uh, rainy. What a surprise. What a surprise. Uh, we have another super chat from Little Miss Fortune. Wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, okay. Trying to find the Mount Rainier. Also, by the way, guys, we're approaching the 15-minute mark of uh, time left. So, you know, I will continue to go in chronological order. But if you are if you have a new question or, you know, your question hasn't been answered yet, at least within the next, you know, once we hit that 10-minute mark, oh, uh, I would recommend super chatting if you really want it to get answered. Um, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So Mount Rainier, um, let's see, where is it? What was the year? In 2010 on Mount Rainier, Eric Lewis was hiking with two of his friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, it was a pretty cold day. It, was snow, it had snowed the night before. Um, they were pretty high up. And they were 
climbing in such a fashion that they were all attached to one line. They had a guy, one of them was the leader, and then the next guy down, and the next guy down, uh, spaced about 50 yards apart. And they had knots along the way, like experienced climbers. Yeah. And at one point, uh, the lead climber stopped to rest, and the second climber caught up, and he stopped to rest. Uh, and they were expecting that Eric would show up to rest, and they were in their 50s. Um, and Eric never showed up. So eventually they kind of like pulled on the line to see what was up and they realized the line was slack and they climbed back down. And what they found was that uh, his carabiners had been unhooked. So the knot was still tied, but he had unhooked himself from the line. And they looked around, they called the rangers. There were no tracks, nothing. Couldn't find him. What they did find about 200 yards uh, down to the left of where they were climbing in an ice cave was all of Eric's gear, but no Eric. And there was space in the cave for somebody to slip back. Mm-hmm. But they obviously weren't going to do that. Yeah, uh, A lot of people have claimed that maybe Eric's friends murdered him, but there doesn't appear to have been any motive for that. Uh, so yeah, something is perhaps lurking on Mount Rainier. And also in Washington, I must of course warn all of you to watch out for my friend Brianna. She is terrifying. Um, she will hurt your feelings. She's going to be very mean. She's got some pretty cool tattoos, but she, she can also be evil when she wants to. I'm confident that she does not support me having a podcast, so she will never see this. But <laughs> why, wait. but she did go to prom with me, so that was pretty cool. Can 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 you elaborate on why you think she wouldn't approve of you having a podcast or support? Why would anybody who has known me for twelve years want me to have a platform? It makes a valid point. <laughs> I'm suddenly questioning why I'm here. I just answered my own question. It's because we're friends. Yes, and it's a miracle of friendship. <laughs> anyway, Little Misfortune 07 asks us another question. Uh, do you think that Wadigos are just something humans feared so much that we dragged them into existence? No, I think that we probably fear them because they exist. That's fair. Okay, Slenderman, on the other hand. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, continuing in chronological order, Cat um, uh, Rose says Hi, 80s. Know of, uh, know of any lore from Rhode Island? I'm going to be honest, Rhode Island is super boring. <laughs> and small like i can't i honestly cannot think of anything yeah i don't um, think it has i don't think it has enough space to really hold anything i, I think rhode island's biggest problem would be ghosts i feel like i remember that like hearing that somewhere yeah, yeah i think rhode island has a decent number of ghosts but you hauntings. don't believe in ghosts yeah, yeah I, they have a decent number of ghosts and hauntings that have been reported but like well, what's your stance on ghosts? Because I feel like I I don't know. it's it's kind of wavering back. And forth I was gonna say because initially you were like, no, it's not ghosts; it's just demons. I don't know. I, I feel like ghosts. I don't think ghosts are the actual soul of the person. Yeah, is where I'm netting out. Like okay. demon, demonic possession, I definitely think is a thing. I think if ghosts are a thing, then they're shades. If that makes sense, that they're an aspect of someone who's passed on, but not the person themselves. Okay. Like a, a kind of like a memory, like a stain almost on it. Interesting. Uh, so I think that might make sense because I just don't believe that souls get stuck. Why not? I, I just don't, I don't see the evidence for it. Okay. Valid. That's the best answer you could have given is that you don't see the evidence for it. Uh, moving right along uh, from, mm, oh, hang on. Did that. Uh. I don't know where that just went. Ow. This is why you got a super chat, guys. We, we'll lose track of the ones that aren't super <laughs> chats. Oh, here we go. 
Uh, Midnight Movie Club asks, do you think the military would purge this species if they were actually if they actually found them? And I'm assuming we're talking about the main uh, topic. Uh, yeah, we're talking about the, the topic from uh, Nahani Valley. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think that they would not purge them. I think that they might try and capture them and do genetic research mm-hmm. and maybe relocate them. To, to a secret facility, that kind of thing. Yep. But I don't think that... Uh, I don't think you would see a, a just a genocide happen because... <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, because there's too much... There's too much to be discovered from it. Mm. And the military scientists tend to be on the side of if we can weaponize it. Yeah. I feel like you underestimate fear in that element, though. Yeah, but if they can figure out how to give human beings the gene that, like, gives you super hearing. Fair. Fair. They're going to try and do it. That's fair. Uh, Kick Collector Comics asks, what draws skinwalkers, fleshy boys, and other Wendigos out aside from just provoking them? Um, well, hunger. Mm. I mean, if, if there's something to eat on their land, they're going to want to go eat it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's for the most part provoking them or the, just them, you know, hunting. Uh, with with skinwalkers, it's it can be a little bit more malevolent. They probably have, you probably to an extent enjoy mm. the hunt, but uh, with wendigos and, and flesh pedestrians in general, I think it's just mostly hunger. Got it. Uh, Chlorel Eris asks, what preparations are you making for the trip to Destiny's place? Ah, uh, that trip actually ended up getting canceled, unfortunately. Mm. So we will be looking for other trips to make. Mm. Yes. Uh. She Loves Tracy asks, oh, thank you so much, but what cryptid would be in North Carolina? Again, we're talking Appalachians. So, Windy Boys. Yep. Um, I mean, saying what cryptid would be in, like, I try not to get annoyed by this question. <laughs> we should make an interactive cryptid map. Yeah, so... <coughs> Cryptids and monsters do not um, obey the geographic law of man. So if it's in South Carolina, it's probably also in North Carolina. Mm. Um, I had a video on my TikTok where I kind of went into this. I was like, you're, you're talking about something that has been reported all over the United States and Canada. So, yeah, North, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, yeah, New York. Pretty much anything east of the Great Plains, most likely. Yeah, in, including the Great Plains, actually. Yeah, um, yeah the Algonquin culture mm-hmm. and their their legends, just Appalachians out west. Um, Interesting. Yeah, okay. so yeah, it's off. It is going to be very hard for me to off the top of my head list the random like local ones. Um, North Carolina does not seem to have a ton of cryptid culture that we have, but yeah, you'll be looking at Windy Boys. Nice. Uh, speaking of Wendy Boys, for, we have a five dollars super chat from Wendigo. Oh, uh, spelled he's found me. Yes, spelled N W E N D I I G zero. He asks, "Ever heard of a giant two meter tall bipedal rabbit near the Henson Boy Scout Reservation in Maryland?" Yeah, you have. How? I think. How? I don't know. That just. Digs up memory. 
I've never seen him this distraught. Especially Why does that sound so question. familiar? I want to know as well. I'm going to have to look it up. Because that sounds really familiar. We'll look into it. Um, Why does that sound familiar? Next question is from UGO Ruthless. Will you play different games on your Twitch? I can. Um, I've been considering doing some Mountain Blade. Uh, maybe a, a run of Skyrim. Um, the problem with Twitch is I have no idea what I'm doing. So I did get a capture card. And we are going to try and hook that up so that I can use it to to stream more efficiently. But I do need to figure out how all of it works. But uh, if people have ideas that for games they would like to see done, I, I currently only have an Xbox One and a PC. Um, but yeah, I, I can do some Mountain Blade. I can do some Total War, some Skyrim, Age of Empires, uh, Warzone, Battlefield uh, 2042 comes out. Um, Warzone is really fun. I just started yeah. playing Warzone. It's a really good time. Yeah, so, but it's probably going to be mostly Warzone for now, but uh, I can absolutely look into other games. Cool. Uh, 24K Zeus213 asks If I kill a Wendigo, will it be released from its Wendigo form? No, it'll just die. So, in a way. In a way, yeah. <laughs> uh, simply, I just I saw this remark and I just had to acknowledge it. Owen Wilson said, Ah, yes, the Wendigo. Wow. Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Thalia Carrillo asks, uh, can you do a video on the Fae? F-A-E. Yes. You're going to have to remind me what that is. Yeah. So, remember how I did all that stuff on the Tua de Danan? Yes. The Fae are kind of like kind of along those lines as like this sort of like it's it's the fair folk. They're also referred to as the Fae. It's kind of like the Irish version of elves. Got it. Um, but there's a, a number of things that fall under the classification of Fae, such as sprites, pixies um brownies like various things it's it's all sorts it's basically the the irish side of cryptids what we would refer to as cryptids in you know modern english um i've kind of tried to avoid it a little bit because the uh the community surrounding the the fae is often um girls who uh describe themselves as witches online and they can be quite mean if you get things wrong. Mm. And while I'm quite used to dealing with people being mean to me uh, for stupid things, I am not keen on people who may or may not actually have the ability to put a curse on me being upset with me. That's fair. So I want to make sure I get it right. It's also not quite my area of expertise, so I've kind of been avoiding it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, I think something, I don't know if people realize, the stuff I talk about is pretty, pretty solidly within my area of study. Um, so I, I'm careful about going outside of it. But I have gotten a lot of people asking me to go over the Fae. That is a big project because there's a lot of them. Mm. And I would want to make sure that I actually touch on everything properly. Got it. 
So two things. We're at about the five minute warning. Uh, we did just get two super chats. And just so you guys know, uh, thank you very much for both of them. We will answer those questions. If you haven't had your answer or question answered yet and you want it to, the only way to guarantee that at this point is a super chat. Yes. Otherwise, you'll have to hold it for next time. Yeah. Um, and aside from that. Also, I will acquire the dog because he's whining. I was just going to say, why don't we bring out Archie for the very end of the show? And. Uh... <coughs> so anyway. So the first super chat for $5 from Cat Rose saying a little hope and man of Meaden are on steam. You should stream with them. Also, damn, Rhode Island was called out. It's just not a very exciting place to be. <laughs> Move over a little bit more. So Archie's more. In front. There you go. This is better. Yes. Everybody enjoying this. Yes. Now everybody can see the, the, the boy. Um, He's a good boy. The next super chat in line is from Emily Green for four ninety nine. Thank you very much. And thank you for Cat, to Cat Rose as well. If I can't remember if I said that or not. So thank you. Uh, but yes, Emily Green asks, do you have any recommendations for what sources to use when doing research on folklore type stuff? Just getting into this stuff and love your content, by the way. Uh, good starting place is this guy right here. And that is it Myths, is and, Myths Legends. and Legends. Um, and it is compiled by... William Doty and Jake Jackson. Uh, I believe you can get it at Barnes and Noble, but if you look up Myths and Legends, uh, you should be able to get that. Um, it's classical Greek, Celtic, Norse, Chinese, African, Native American, and Scottish. Um, so it covers all the all the basics, so to speak. Um, yeah, I think that would be my my primary answer to that. Uh, after that, it gets more specific depending on what. Uh, you're looking into there's of course the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica has little excerpts on all of them mm. um, but yeah it's uh, I would start with that and then as you find stuff that you find more they're like well oh well what about a modern book and I'm like well why do you want a modern book <laughs> like in they're that just, case, gonna be, just go on Wikipedia. Yeah, they're going to be getting the same information, but like worse if it's modern. Not necessarily worse, just Hi, like buddy. modernized. I know. Hi, I know. Uh, okay, the next super chat is from uh, Christine Piano Pambino Bennett. Yeah, it's my mom. Uh, she asks, if a Wendigo and a Skinwalker mate, what will it be? An abomination. <laughs> what? They, 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 theoretically, I guess, kind of a... I don't know. I, I don't think that, that would be possible. I think they'd just kill each other. Oh. If you were to, like, create... If you were to do some, like, lab work and create an embryo and whatever, it really depends on the tradition. I mean, if you're going with... What do you want to be up here? Technically, if you want to go... Ba you know people are going to be able to hear you. I know. But okay. It's, it's priorities. No, not priorities. <laughs> the dog is not priorities. The dog gets enough attention as it is. The dog's always a priority. Um. Anyway, you were so, saying... Anyway... This um, makes me think when you said, you know, it would just they would just kill each other. Now I just want to see gladiatorial bats oh or, God. you know, bouts yeah, between I get it. But no, Technically, if you go by the actual traditional lore of both and not my theory of the whole Nephilim connection, um, if you had a Wendigo and a Skinwalker mate, you would get a human. Because they're both humans. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's assuming that the human parts would be the ones that would overpower. Well, no, because... They're both humans. They're just humans that have been warped and fair mutated. Yeah, but you're assuming that the essentially well, when Wendigo offspring, is a human. 
Well, you're assuming the Punnett square will distill down back to human. Well, yeah. But it might not. But there's no non-human DNA. Well, the mutations would then be... Wouldn't I mean, I don't know if you could pass on the mutations. But that's well, I look like a biologist to you. Obviously not, but we're, we're going under the assumption that, that essentially the, those mutations wouldn't be. But under the, let's reverse I it. think you would most likely get a human child if you were to somehow combine them. Interesting. I don't know. I'd be curious. I'd be very curious. Um, okay, so we'll give a couple more minutes for anybody who wants to super chat, but we are technically right about at the end of the show. So, you know, uh, if you really want your question to be answered, send it in. Uh, as a super chat, we will answer it. Otherwise, you're going to have to hold it until next time. Or if you are a Patreon at at least the $1 tier, we will be in the Discord uh, for... Campfire? Yeah, the, half an hour? Yeah, about a half so. an hour in the campfire so you can ask it there. Um, we'd really appreciate if you guys could at the very least do the $1 tier. It really helps us out. Oh, yeah. There are a number of other tiers higher than that that give you a lot more access to a lot of different things, a lot of special and exclusive content. Um but yes, and you can yeah, follow. But uh, if you know, if if every single one of our YouTube subscribers were to do our one dollar Patreon tier, we would not be rich, but we would be living comfortably. Yes, and so the, um, the key there is that we would be able to actually make this a full time job, which is yeah. what we would love to set do. up a studio and. Yes, but we can't right now because we don't even have a livable wage yeah. <laughs> as of yet from this. Um, but yes. So be much appreciated if uh, as many people could do that as possible. Again, we're, we're, we're like this close to an OnlyFans, guys. You don't understand. It's bad out here. Don't be careful what you wish for. Uh, who said I was wishing for it? Not you, them. Oh, them? Uh, yeah, some of them probably are. <laughs> you get a bunch of messages in the Discord like you should do the OnlyFans. Yeah, but like, would it be an ironic OnlyFans? Yeah. Yeah. That's the only way it could be. Like that's that's all we could do. Uh huh. It could, you know, what it would be, or you do Archie fans and make a whole website of just pics of Archie. Would you guys be up for that? I was gonna say the ironic OnlyFans would pretty much just be a bunch of different videos of us holding guitars and starting with anyway here's Wonderwall and, and playing every playing other song but Wonderwall. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> that is my new favorite thing that we've started doing. Uh, but yeah. Anyway. So uh, no more super chats have come in and it's been a couple minutes. So I think we're going to call it there for this yep. evening. Um, so thank you everybody for ch uh, tuning in. Uh, yep. If you're not already following Aiden on all of his socials, it's at the Aiden Mattis uh, on anything that matters. Uh, I'm and at, at Aiden Mattis on Twitter. Yes. And I'm at director Aiden on anything that matters, anything that you would want to follow. Yep. Uh, obviously the Patreon, you know, that is in the link the tree in the description. Lodge. <laughs> the floor lodge. The floor lodge. There's also, of course, our merch store. If you want more lodge yes. merch, we've got mugs, we've got yoga mats, we've got lifting shirts, we've got non-lifting shirts. Yes. We've got hoodies. Um, I need somebody who knows how to use Photoshop to make beanies, but after that's done, we'll have beanies. Um, yes, Archie. I'm glad he agreed. I think he needs to. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So, yeah, and I think that's generally think that's all, the, all the plugs. Everything. Yeah, uh, Make sure you go and watch our Knights Templar video from Friday. If you yes. haven't yet, that's a good one. Yes. Um, we got another one coming up on Friday of this week, and that's going to be on Bohemian Grove. And then following that, a very special backdoor pilot into what will be our Tuesday series, which is going to be a history series. And uh, our Thursday series is going to be a, what's it going to be? 
Thornberry Thursdays, and that's basically me having free reign getting, getting to talk about whatever I want. And the first video is going to be, for those who were in the Discord call when I actually talked about it and decided that I'm going to do a video on it, the Martha scene from Batman v Superman. I'm going to ma give a massive defense of it because I think it was a fantastic scene despite objectively it seeming really stupid because I have a degree in film, journalism, and a minor in psych. And I grew up learning a lot of psych because my mom has her master's in it and I've always been interested. And I think that scene specifically is an incredible psychological understanding of both of those characters. I think you can, you can hate on all of the rest of the Snyderverse all you want, but the one thing he does get is the characters. He does something different with them, and albeit you can dislike that, but he does have a fundamental understanding of the characters, and I appreciate that, and I'm going to educate everybody on why I believe You that. probably liked the Holdo maneuver, didn't you? The what? The Holdo maneuver. Which was? It's in Star Wars Episode Eight when she jumps to hyperspace to get through the Dreadnought and mm -hmm. blow it up. I was curious as to why no one had ever thought of it before. Because that's not how hyperspace works, Aiden. <laughs> hyperspace is not just jumping to light speed. Hyperspace is when you actually go into a hyperspace lane, which have to be carved out of space by other ships going into hyperspace and literally carving out hyperspace lanes. And a lot of them get lost and never seen again. A lot of people died that way in the Star Wars mythology. And if you if you look into it, you can't just jump to hyperspace. You're not going laterally. You're not just moving in a line. Of course nobody thought of it because it's not possible. Naturally. but You know, if you're going to create... A, Star Wars obviously does not use real-world physics, but if you're going to create physics for your universe, mm. stick to them. Beat. You can't... Do you know how many things in that movie they were like, oh, by the way, now there's this, and now there's this, and now there's this? Yeah. Also, they're like, we're almost out of fuel. You're in space. You yes. don't need to use fuel. Yeah, I hated the fuel thing. But I will say, to be fair, in the main canon of the live-action films, hyperspace lanes were never even hinted at. In like the first three, but th there was no there was no hint at lane. Yeah, but in in the Star Wars canon, by the time you get to Episode Eight, by the time that was made, hyperspace lanes were canon. Okay, but in what area of the canon was it in the novels, or was it just in? I think it was in the Clone Wars. Okay, and Rebels. Fair enough. Yeah. Sorry, this is not a Star Wars show. It could be. It could be. We could have one of them too. Yeah. We don't want to spread ourselves too thin. Yeah, we're starting to. We, this is starting to fall apart, so I think we're going to end the show now. But yeah, yeah, follow me on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever. Follow him on all those as well. Yes, Sub to our Patreon, please. We are begging you. We need money. And, uh, you know, thank you to, to everyone uh, who makes this show possible. It is absolutely just the most fun thing that we've ever gotten to do for work. And uh, we are looking forward to, you know, however long we can keep this up. Yes. Very much so. All right. Anyway, we're going to take out the boy, and we will see y'all who are patrons in, in the, Discord. the Discord. All right. Adios, amigos. <laughs>